Welcome to Your Wellbeing Podcast, brought to you by the Mind Body Spirit Festival. Today we're speaking with Alice Living, a 26-year-old personal trainer, blogger, and best-selling author with a passion for educating the masses on all things wellness. Alice is a monthly columnist for Women's Health magazine, covering the latest trends within the fitness industry, and she's also released two best-selling activewear collections with Primark, one of which was awarded a prestigious Draper's Award for Best Influencer Collaboration. She covers everything from fitness to fashion, lifestyle, and more. Today we are here with Alice Living. She's a health and well-being influencer, a best-selling author and personal trainer. Using her own experience of transforming her lifestyle, Alice has inspired a shift in the modern-day consumer's attitude to healthy eating and exercise. Alice, thanks for joining us in Mortimer House in London today for our podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really great to meet you and to spend this time with you, to dive into you and your life and what you can share with our audience and our community. So for those who don't know what you do, how would you explain it? So it's really funny, like I wear lots of different hats even in Mm. one day, but I think my main job, as I would describe it, is I'm a personal trainer by trade. Right. Um, I'm qualified as a personal trainer, I have been for number of years now and that's I guess my bread and butter in terms of I train clients but then alongside that I am many other things I am an author I've written three books Um, I'm a podcast host I run my own podcast called give me strength I'm an influencer despite hating that term but yes I am a blogger influencer Um, and I write a column for women's health magazine and lots of other publications as well so I sort of do lots of different things and I really like that, you know, it's nice that no day is ever the same, you know, even yeah. today I've got so many different things going on and it's it's nice to keep busy with lots of different things and to make sure that I'm doing all the things that I enjoy. Yeah, quite prolific doing the things that you're passionate about, mm. which is wonderful. Uh, perhaps you can tell us a bit about your journey for our listeners who might not know about your background in the performing arts and your musical theatre career. Yes, I know. So when I was growing up, I was always obsessed with musical theatre, mm. always wanted to be a performer. Uh, originally, I wanted to be a professional ballerina, Okay. but I didn't quite have the body for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like five foot, well, well, I am five foot now, I'm tired. Um, but I was always really really small and yeah it wasn't quite the physique so I then focused my energies on musical theatre I've always danced um, and loved dancing I loved my singing Mm. and so kind of came to the end of sixth form and decided that I was going to audition for musical theatre colleges originally I had a place like I did that awful thing where you kind of do what everyone else around you is doing Mm. so I went to a school where everyone went to university and my parents very much wanted me to do that Mm. and so I applied to universities as normal and got a place to read history at Southampton and then I remember being sort of like three weeks out from going and just turning around to my mum and being like I can't do this Mm. um it's not what I want to do and my parents was like my parents are and always have been so supportive Mm. and I'm really grateful for that because my mum was like it's fine it's fine we'll deal with it so I ended up taking a year out and then doing my auditions and I got a place in London and did three years musical theatre degree. So, so yeah, so then I went into the UK tour of Annie, did that for a year. And then at the same time I was writing my first book, um, The Body Bible. So that was really detailing my journey that I'd kind of gone through whilst at college. Mm. So that's quite elite. And that book seems quite transformative for the way your life went Mm. um, after that. Can you tell me, how would you define healthy? Okay, so, I think it's a very subjective term mm. and actually I don't think it really has a defined meaning. Mm. Um, I don't think you can put into a sentence what it means. 
the most important thing I've come to understand about healthy is that it really means different things to different people yes. and that each person's take on it is valid depending on like what their goals are and how they feel and how they want to live their life mm. for me I think it really is kind of a, a synergy between healthy body healthy mind and healthy life I guess I, I would place most of the focus on mental well-being. I think mm -hmm. that for me is really, really important. And I've come to recognize that that is kind of like the key foundation for mm -hmm. everything else to then fall into place. So did that come a bit later on the journey? Yeah, so because focusing I think... on the physical and then moved into more of the, the Of mental. course. And I think that's how it happens for most people that we think that losing weight or, or changing our body is like going to be the thing that makes us happier. Mm -hmm. So you pursue that. And along the way, I think for me anyway, I very much got to that goal and was like, oh, well, what now? And actually, I wasn't in the best place. And I thought that, you know, there was going to be a magic pot of gold at the end of the mm. rainbow. And there wasn't. <laughs> and so you kind of have yeah. to sit back and go, oh, okay, well, I got to my goal weight and I did all the things that I was supposed to do. And I don't feel any different. So mm. actually, what is it that I want? Mm -hmm. And how do I get there? And that's when I started to recognize that, you know, there are lots of other factors that were impacting who I was and how I was living my life. Mm. And a lot of the, the work that I actually needed to do was with my mental well-being yes. rather than my physical. And yes. the physical was just a big sticking plaster for the other stuff that was going on. So well, having said that, how important a role does exercise play in your overall sense of well-being? Yeah, I think, you know, exercise is, is really important. Something that we should all be doing <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah. But it doesn't look a certain way. I think that's the thing that people get caught up in mm. is that they think that mm. exercise has to be them going to the gym and like yeah. slugging it out on the treadmill, dripping with sweat. And, you know, that's not really how I try and practice my approach to exercise. Mm. You know, I think movement is, is more of a word that you tend to use now in terms of I really hope people just see it as that. So yes. movement could be, you know, it's a huge umbrella term for walking, running, cycling, um, commuting, yeah. swimming, yoga, all these different things. Like exercise can't really be put into a box. It's yes. however you feel good at moving your body. And so I think if we start to broaden our kind of uh, concept of what exercise is, you'll actually see that it's a lot easier to incorporate into your lifestyle than a lot of people's perception of exercise. Yeah. Um, there's something called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That's basically non-activity exercise, exercise thermogenesis. thermogenesis. Okay. And it's basically like all of the energy you burn mm -hmm. not doing exercise. Okay. So, but linked with movement or just of course, anything? yeah. So stuff that you do when you're moving, but that you wouldn't necessarily see as exercise. So okay. I'll give you some examples. Yeah. It could be getting the tube in the morning and mm -hmm. taking the escalator and walking up rather than um, standing still. Yes. It could be your commute in the morning. It will be when you're getting up to go and get coffee at work. It will be uh, walking to a meeting. You know, all those kind of little bits of movement yeah. that actually add up to quite a lot okay. um, throughout the day if you put the effort into it. And so, like, you know, I like to have little incentives mm. to get people to focus on not just the exercise, but also their knee as well. Um, and that could be as simple as, you know, getting up once an hour just to kind of like stretch your legs and have a bit of a move. Mm. Um, it could be getting off the tube one stop earlier and walking home. Yeah. Um, similarly, you could try and plan in like a 15 minute walk in your lunch break. Mm. It's not hugely complicated, but it just means that your overall energy expenditure each day yeah. is slightly greater than that if you were just sat sedentary at your desk and didn't really put the effort into getting up and moving around yeah and there's lots of wearables that people can can use at the moment which contribute to them being much more aware because i think part of the problem has been that people aren't aware that they're staying still yeah. for such a long time no i think you're absolutely right like you know fitness tech has come along 
hugely in the last mm. couple of years and um you know I wear an apple watch yeah. and that reminds me to get up if I've sat down for too long <laughs> and you know I think it's important to be mindful of the fact that we shouldn't become obsessed with these things mm. they can play a really interesting part in getting people just to move more but if it's ruling your life it's also not a positive thing yeah you know there are limitations with it but mm. I think for most people who don't find themselves being dictated to by their fitness watch it can be a really good motivation to get you to just move more yeah talking about being obsessed with something I know that people for example use food and diet and that becomes something that people become Mm. quite obsessed with what's your take on that um because originally you had an entire lifestyle change with clean eating Alice Mm -hmm. like that was going back to I guess what I was talking about previously which was Mm. when you focus on one thing which for me was a physical change Mm. and you don't really see that actually around you you're sort of starting to restrict certain things and not live your life how you probably would have done before because of how you want to look and I think you're right in that you know in the pursuit of and I put in inverted commas healthy Mm. or getting physically fit people can become slightly more disordered with their behaviors with that Mm. and I think it's a really common thing that is far more widespread than we realize in terms of people falling into disordered behaviors such as you know feeling immense sense of guilt if they skip a workout um going to a restaurant and only being able to look at the healthy things on the menu rather than ordering what they really want Mm. And it took me a long time to recognise that I was definitely displaying some of those behaviours. Yeah. Do you, you know, think there's a, there's a bit of a domino effect with that? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. And I think, you know, it goes back to really having to pull it back to what is it that I want to achieve? Mm. Where is my mental well-being? And how can I rebuild that before recognising that all the other things weren't necessarily healthy? I think we have this concept in society that health only looks a certain way. Yeah. It's someone that yeah. is in a lean body and they exercise and they eat really healthily and they drink green juices. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think going back to your original question of what is healthy, mm. I would see it as something very, very different now to what I would have done three or four years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And seeing it as much more nuanced and much more um, dependent on the individual's mm. kind of approach to it. So I think we must be aware that, yes, we could probably all do a little bit more to be a little bit healthier. Yes. But at the same time, that shouldn't be at a compromise mm. of living your life and having that sense of balance whereby you can still enjoy yourself and have a good time and and not feel as though you're restricting yourself in any way which I think is really important having more of a focus on things like incorporating healthy habits Mm -hmm. rather than rigid rules that aren't able to bend and you know that for me is yeah where the problem lies yeah I like what you said earlier about, you know, healthy, it doesn't have a specific definition Mm. and it is individual for everyone. Mm. And I really feel like at the moment there's quite a shift with people being able to identify their own definition of healthy. Mm. Do you think that's contributing to people getting even healthier and making better decisions because they're accepting themselves? I honestly think if there was one thing that I think has made a massive shift in how we approach health. It has been body acceptance, Mm. that people are starting to see that they no longer have to fit themselves into a box to Mm. be healthy. Mm. I think that's hugely positive. I can only hope that that continues because I think it makes a massive difference. Um, You know, there are so many different ways in which you know we we need to support that I think one of them is the media has a huge responsibility with that Mm. displaying different types of bodies that aren't all the same size eight skinny six foot you know model um (laughs) makes you feel as though you can relate to someone I think you know look at someone like Nike who's um 
showing models wearing hijabs, you know, mm-hmm. and the different know, sizes of the mannequins they used in this. Yeah, the different sizes of the mannequins. Like, <clears throat> we are really starting to recognise that lots of people exercise. You know, I can use my platform to yes. to encourage that sense of diversity and to celebrate that diversity and to, I guess shine a light on other people who I think are wonderful and who are doing things really well. So I think, yeah, body acceptance is huge. And I think, going back to what I was saying, it comes down to lots of different things, you know, social media, the media, even just like high street brands, you know, that all has a huge role to play in us all feeling as though we are far more accepted as who we are rather than, oh God, I don't look like that mannequin. I don't fit in. Yeah, definitely. And it's a lot of subliminal messaging, isn't Mm. it? Because then it's only when when people start being represented on a broader platform that they realised, oh, hang on a minute, I wasn't being spoken to before and I didn't realise. Mm-hmm. Something that I've noticed that I think is amazing is women sporting women. I think for yeah. a long time, women were in this rat race where you felt as though you had to tread on other women to mm. get to the top. Mm. And actually, like, it wasn't a hugely supportive environment. Mm. And I'm not just talking about in work, but, you know, online. Yes. Um, and in lots of different environments, I think that was seen as the norm, was that... You know, women didn't necessarily support each other as much as they probably could. And actually, I think there's been a real shift, well, I've felt anyway, over the last couple of years, that we've started to recognise that actually by supporting others, we can all rise, but we can all get to the top, and we can all be successful. And so this kind of whole women supporting women and feeling a lot more encouraged by other women rather than in competition with them, Mm. I think is a really positive shift yeah because on your podcast you focus on interviewing extraordinary women about the importance of building mental and physical resilience Mm. and how this can empower us to live happier and stronger lives but you do also have some inspirational stories from men on there too yeah so how do you define an extraordinary woman oh because i like that you've included men on that even though the description of your podcast is about extraordinary women we shifted that for series two okay series one it was purely focused on women and i think that was because basically just because there were so many amazing women around yeah. that I just wanted to interview. <laughs> yeah. And I think because women's stories, particularly like as the podcast had a bit of a focus towards sport, was like, I didn't really hear about women's voices in sport, really. Mm. You know, there's a great, um, I absolutely adore a journalist called Anna Kessel, who champions mm-hmm. and has headed up the Women in Sport feature at The Telegraph. Okay. Um, but prior to that, like, women's sport wasn't really represented in no. the media like, at all. Yeah, you're right. So being able to see that and to hear from women that had experiences from sport and hear their voice, you know, I thought it was really empowering. But then as we shifted into series two, we had a slightly different focus with the podcast in that we broadened, I guess, the subject matter, not just from sport, but just to like physical resilience as well as mental resilience, yeah. kind of crossing both of those um, subject matter. And I think it started because I went to school with a guy called Henry Fraser, who's my first male guest. And I just thought Henry's story was so amazing. Yeah, I was like, I really that one. Want... It's really amazing. And I've had such amazing feedback from that. Mm. So how do you personally define resilience and what made you choose this as your, as your special subject to share in your podcast? For me, resilience kind of evolves as you grow as a person. Um, you will always be throwing challenges in life. And you can never truly prepare yourself for like each challenge because you never know when it's going to come and how it's going to manifest. But I guess there's a beautiful quote that I love is that you can only control what you can control. Yes. And the rest, you can only control how you respond to it, you know? So resilience... And respond rather than react. Yeah, exactly. Like for me, resilience is being able to be in control of what you can control, but also control how you respond to situations Mm. and be in control of that. Yeah. 
and you're never going to be able to know what's around the corner for you and sometimes it can be good things sometimes it can be bad and you're always having to evolve how you respond and react to those things and how you you know how you are challenged by that but if you can try and have that mindset of like you know even like currently I'm I'm gonna talk about coronavirus but like for me anyway like (laughs) there's certain things like that climate change you know there's all there's all sorts of things that, that are causing young people these days so much anxiety and there's always a new thing, you know, if yeah. it's not the fires in Australia, it's, you know, it's coronavirus, there's always going to be something. Yeah. The news is incredibly terrifying at the moment. But if you sit there allowing yourself to be like whipped up into like complete anxiety over that, it's not necessarily the best thing. Like climate change, for example, like none of us are perfect, but if we all do our, do our bit and we all control what we can control do we can. and do what we can that'll make a huge difference. Mm. So I guess, yeah, going back to resilience, um, I would say that that's, that's how I see it. Mm. What becomes part of your either daily or weekly or monthly routine practice to, mm. to build that up for yourself? Um, I think sharing is a huge thing. I think a lot of us internalise anxiety because we're scared to talk about the things that worry us. Mm. So I think a lot of us are sort of like, probably deep down maybe a little bit nervous about various different things that are going on in our in our world and to us they feel really important but you know sometimes if you say them out loud and you share them they feel a lot more manageable right so So is that what you do yeah Yeah. I was previously someone that would get frustrated with stuff or get anxious about stuff or worry and instead of being able to share that with people I would just internalize it and suddenly my internal pressure cooker would just be like going overboard with anxiety and I would have panic Mm. attacks and all sorts Mm. I do love the saying, like, a problem shared is a problem half. And in a lot of situations, I do think it is. If you yeah. can speak to someone about something yeah. where you can break it down and work out, you know, what it is you can control, what it is you can't, and to try and work out how you can manage it, um, I really think that's that's a way of helping you to develop that sense of resilience through life. Mm, yeah. Um, it leads me quite nicely to, you know, it's in the past, it's very much in the past, but you very bravely and openly shared about your traumatic experiences from an abusive relationship mm-hmm. that you endured at quite a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wonderfully use your experience to ins- inspire other women and to let them know that they're not they're not alone. Yeah. Um, what gave you the courage to speak out, first of all? And second of all, how did the people around you respond to knowing that you went through that without them knowing at the time, especially because mm. you were so young? Mm. So, um, yeah, so I was 16 yeah. when I was in a really abusive relationship. And I think... The reason why, you know, it took me a long time to kind of work on that Mm. for myself and to work on the trauma that that brought up. But actually, you know, when I grew my platform, I guess for me, I wanted to be able to use it for positive change, you know, to use it to inspire and to, you know, spread the, the message that I was, but also to kind of, I guess, talk about things that I felt that I had the benefit of being able to talk about because I had a large audience. So things that really mattered to me were something like, you know, making people aware of what constitutes a healthy relationship. Mm. I was 16 when I got into this relationship. I had no idea that it was abusive until it became physically abusive. Mm. And even then, I still went back every single time because I didn't really, I couldn't really like comprehend that like I was in an abusive relationship. Yeah. In my head at the time, mm. all I'd understood about domestic abuse was that it was something that affected older people that were in married relationships and, you know, like something you'd seen in EastEnders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So how did you become aware of it? Was it a lot long after you were out of that relationship or was it when you were in it? I mean, it all ended quite um, traumatically in that um, he turned up at my school, in the middle of the school and like in front of my friends 
um, attacked me. So obviously then people become very aware of the fact that something's not quite right. Yes. But the sad thing is, is that like prior to that, I was aware that things weren't right. I tried to end it. And that always ended in things getting worse. Mm. Unfortunately, it's so difficult with abusive relationships that like almost everything that happened to me was mm. not in front of people. So it's really hard to then be yeah. like, this is happening to me, but you have As zero... it might be for most people. Yeah, but well, you have zero, ev- zero evidence. Yeah. And, you know, the fear for me was, well, how, well who's going to believe me? You know, mm. he was older than me. You know, who was going to believe, like a young girl mm. who was saying that her boyfriend was hitting her? You know, like it's just, mm. you, you kind of, you talk yourself out of being believed, basically. So um, the only reason why I got the police involved was because he turned up at my house. And so then my parents became aware of what was going on. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, because you already referenced earlier that your parents were really supportive. Yeah. So how did they feel And they are. that and this was going on for you? That must have been really hard for them as well. Yeah, and it's so difficult because they are so supportive and they're amazing. Mm. But also, like, because they are so loving and supportive, I almost, throughout the relationship, and we were together for a year... I just didn't want to burden them with that. Yeah. Like, it was almost that. I was like, yeah. I just don't want to... I was so embarrassed and ashamed of what was going on. Part of me just thought that it was, you know... Part of you always thinks, oh, it's going to stop. Because yeah. for me, this cycle of, of abuse happened that, like, it would be really, really awful, but then it would be amazing because they'd suddenly feel so bad about what they yeah. did that suddenly you're, like, being taken out for nice dinners and bought things. Mm. And, like, the psychology of that... Now I recognise how wrong that is, but mm. at the time, you suddenly just think, oh... Well, it, it balances be, out on some yeah, level. Yeah, it must just be because they love me so much. You know, I, I didn't understand what was really going on as much as I probably could. And, like, I take full responsibility for the fact that I probably buried my head in the sand over a lot of things. But yeah. I didn't really know what else to do. You know, I couldn't tell my friends at school because I was so embarrassed. And none of them were experiencing something like that. I couldn't tell my parents because I just was so ashamed. Mm. So you just deal with it on your own. And then... It was only when things got really bad that I was suddenly like, oh my God, I can't deal with this on my own. This is mm. like spilling out into every area of my life. Yeah. But yeah, it's a time of my life that I think I buried for a long time because as you do with trauma, sometimes it takes you a long time to yeah. dig that back up and to deal with it. Yeah. But then I did and I just felt like, wow, I've got this massive platform of really engaged young women who I can speak to about my experience and say, this happened to me. Yeah, which is very brave. Yeah. It's one thing to go through it and to experience it and to be able to internally understand what's Mm. happened and and your relationship with yourself Mm. through Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a complete other thing to bring it into, you know, the public domain for everyone to know that about yeah. you without them knowing all of you you yeah. know because when when you are a public figure like yourself people know bits of bits, you without yeah. knowing everything mm-hmm. so so how was that yeah I mean I think you know my biggest fear was oh my god he's gonna see this and he's gonna come and attack me you know if that was my biggest fear I felt confident and strong enough to be able to be mature enough to know that like that probably wasn't gonna happen but I think I just felt like that was the least of my worries and that yeah. actually like doing what I did, which was talking about my experience, sharing that, and how that's helped so many other women. Yes. It's way more empowering than, yeah, you know, me being... And, and, you know, to a certain extent, I was like, why should I let that fear, why should I let him control continue to control yes. me? Yeah. You know, like, I shouldn't let that stop me from doing something amazing, which I think is sharing my experience. And, you know, I'm now an ambassador for Women's Aid, the yes. charity, yeah. and I hugely value that role and all that I've done with them they're Mm. an incredible organization who are chronically underfunded um and I think if I can continue to champion that message 
and to get women help and to make women aware of their options if they find themselves in an abusive relationship then that for me is like job done um and like the blame is a massive thing Mm. which ties into what you were saying before about how people blame themselves for not, you know, going to the gym or yeah, eating completely correctly for a day. Like or we are, we are our own worst critic, and whether it is in abusive relationships or it's, you know, in life, mm. we are so hard on ourselves, and we yeah. always see ourselves as being in the wrong. And actually, like there are times when you're not, you're not in the wrong. You've mm. actually done nothing wrong. Um, and I think particularly when it comes to abuse, like most women have been gaslighted into believing that they are the problem Mm. I certainly was you know I thought that it was things that I was doing that was provoking that behavior Mm. but actually you know if you break it down and if you start to encourage women to understand that they're not to blame Mm. you can really peel back the layers of oh god this is actually you realize how bad it is yes you know because you you start to see that like okay it wasn't me that did that that caused that it wasn't me that did this that caused this every case of abuse you can sort of isolate as oh oh, you know I did this and Mm. that caused him Mm. to do that no 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 like Mm. abuse is always wrong like it's never okay Mm. yeah as a special thank you for listening to Your Wellbeing Podcast, we're offering a 10% off all tickets at the London Wellbeing Festival 2020. All you need to do is visit the website and use promo code PODCAST10. Only valid on online sale, terms and conditions available online. What advice do you have for people who may still be struggling to find their passion and purpose um, if they haven't had perhaps a hugely transformative story that's mm. really shaped them? Well, I think one of the downsides of social media is I think that we are all under the illusion that we have to have like found ourselves by yeah. a certain age and yeah. be like totally settled and be like, right, this is my life, I'm on track, you know, yeah. I've got everything sorted. It's that kind of like... If in your 20s. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of... And I just find that really bizarre. You know, I think we live in a world now where like anything is possible, no matter how old you are, no matter who you are, you know, like don't let age or experience or previous kind of stuff that you've done define how you then create your future Mm. um and I think a lot of us because of social media and because we see all of these people doing lots of crazy things and being really successful and you know it can make us feel as though we are not enough Mm. and I think that's not a good place to be like you can just sit back at the end of your life and think I achieved everything I wanted to, I was really happy, and I really, really valued, like, what I did. Great. That's what you want. And then live without regrets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So, you know, having said that, because you did talk about social media, Mm. and, you know, your following really exploded over the last few years, what made you decide to include more of what you share with the world through influencing? And how did you grow such a strong following on social media with what you do? I think social media has kind of evolved with what I've done. I never set out to be successful on social media, and I can never set out to have a huge following. I started posting pictures of my food mm. because, you know... That's what people did That's what Instagram. people did. <laughs> and I just thought, well, this is fun. I'll just do this and, like, share it with my friends. Yeah. And I was in the right place at the right time, and mm. it just meant that my, you know, following grew. Um, but I think I've really ha- had to, I guess, navigate that journey Mm. sensibly because it was never something that I expected to do Mm. so there was a lot of stuff Mm. that I've kind of had to learn along the way and Mm. there's a lot of experiences that I probably didn't handle the best that I could have and I just think my only tip I guess or or what I've done to be successful is I have really tried to be as authentic and true to myself as possible Mm. Mm. and that which comes through 
I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. But I haven't tried to sort of create a persona or be someone that yeah. I'm not. You know, I've just sort of been myself and hopefully that's, you know, that's something that people still enjoy. Yeah, and it resonates with people and, and like you said earlier, it's all about being real mm. and being authentic and yeah. sharing what's been your experience mm. that people can connect with. And I think ultimately as well, my, my page now has very much of like an educational yes. platform, you know, so mm. I like the fact that I can really give people like educational take-homes that they can learn stuff that they can you know exercise is so trendy now and yeah. if I can ha- advise people on how to do it in the most safe and sustainable way possible then that's great and mm. so that's definitely been a focus well there's all sorts of research out there about the balance between food and diet um, and some say that your body's 80% determined by food and the other 20% is is physical exercise it's this balance between nourishing yourself and, and moving mm. what, what's your take on this do you think it's just 20% physical 80% food and diet or? well I just think I, I hear this a lot like this yeah. oh, it's 80-20 and I'm like well it's different for every, like mm. there's no percentage that I could sit here and be like right 80-20 80% of it like Especially if you're using this neat thing, because it's then hard to quantify, right? Yeah, and also, like, I think people really try and oversimplify what is quite a complicated (laughs) topic, you know? Like, weight loss, well-being, just how we choose to live our lives. Like, it's way more nuanced than being, like, 80% diet, 20% exercise. Like, there's so Mm. much more that goes into it. I think that diet is important, but it depends what for. If you said to me 80% diet, 20% exercise, I'd say, well, for what? Like, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Because, like, if you're trying to run a marathon, then I might say it might be more 50-50. But if you're just wanting to live healthily, I might say it's 70-30. You know, like, Mm. it's Mm. it's totally dependent on what someone wants to get out of that. Yeah. And so, like, simplifying it to an equation is just Mm. way too oversimplified. I think, yes, nutrition is important food impacts a lot of the things that go on in our body our hormones our mood our gut health mm. um our sleep and i was just about to say it's also enjoyable yeah so like if we only focus on what nutritional benefits we mm. can get from food mm. you miss out a huge portion of that other side of food that is sharing that is enjoyable that is yeah. cooking with friends that's it's just not not as simple as i think people want it to be yeah on your website, you share some really delicious recipes, you know, across the spectrum. It's not just all super healthy food, um, which is easy to prepare and simple enough for even people like me who have a slight aversion to <laughs> cooking, I'll admit, to eat well. So um, how did food and nutrition become such a huge part of what you do as well? I think simply because I enjoy it. Mm. I really love cooking. I love creating different dishes. Have you always? Um, no, not always, actually. But when I was young... That's a telltale smile. Well, I think only for the fact that my mum is a really good cook. Right. So, like, when I was at home, yeah. I didn't have to think about cooking because my mum yeah. already did it for us and we had the most amazing food. But I guess when I went to uni and <laughs> that, that onus was then on me, I was had to, like... I was like, right, I really need to get my arse in gear because I need to learn how to boil day. an egg. <laughs> so, um, from there, I really got into it and I really do enjoy the creative process of making something. I love cooking for people as well. I think that's mm. something that I really enjoy. So, yeah, I, I find it, like, it's not just for me about the food. I find it very meditative. I find it creative. Mm. And just something that I, I can really wind down by doing. I love it. That's really nice. 
many of our community and audience, as well as being interested in well-being, they may well work in the wellness industry as mm-hmm. well um, and share wonderful things that they do as well. How can you share how you became a brand ambassador for brands such as Women's Aid, uh, Primark, and how do you choose the brands that you decide to work with? Great question. Um, I think, first of all, you need to have a strong brand ethos as yourself. Um, Alice Living, the brand, I guess, I have a very strong awareness of what that means and what I will stand for and what I don't and what I like and what I don't Mm. like. Mm. And I think because of that, it makes brand deals quite easy because you have a very firm moral compass as to what you want to work with and what you find great and then what you wouldn't, you know. So that, for me, has never been an issue. But I guess opening those doors can be slightly more challenging Mm. and that goes into the murky world of influencer, culture, managers... Mm. there's a lot behind the scenes and so I think if you only focus on getting brand deals and this is I guess a bit more technical but like if you only focus on getting brand deals you really lose the quality of what you do I Mm. feel Mm. I focused on growing a following growing an engaged audience and growing a message and an ethos and then because of doing that the brand deals came along that's nice so they found you yeah Yeah. rather than chasing brand deals Mm. I'm very grateful for that and I realise that it's probably more of a unique situation Mm. but I think if you have a brand or if you have a a message that you want to share put all of your energy into doing that and making that as authentic and true and you know widespread as possible Mm. rather than chasing brand deals when you might not necessarily have the most solid brand to then share so it's about keeping the focus on, on the bigger picture mm. for yourself and, mm-hmm. and what it is that you want to be doing. Exactly. For our listeners who aren't that active <laughs> and who might be intimidated by the idea of exercise, what would you suggest to them to make a change to improve their well-being? Uh, I just think find a way of moving that you enjoy. Mm. What's that... your favourite way to move? Genuinely? Yeah, of course. I love weight training. <laughs> if I had to choose... Did you always? Or was it something that... Um... The endorphins eventually made you fall in love with it? Or? So, yeah, so I think I love what it does for myself, like my confidence. Mm. Like I, find, I feel physically and mentally stronger for yeah. doing it. Yeah. But then, like, if you said to me, okay, you can only exercise one more time, I would either do <laughs> boxing, which is one of my favourite things to do, um, but walking is also one of my favourite things. Like, just being outside, like, being in nature... It doesn't, uh, going back to what I was saying at the start of our conversation, like we are so keen to put exercise into a box that you have Mm. to be in a gym or dripping with sweat. And it's really not the case. Like all of us can exercise in some way. So I think it's just about finding something that you enjoy and then just rolling with it. And if that means that you need to experiment a little bit, maybe try some new things out, so be it. But like if you end up finding something that you feel great at and that really makes you feel good, then perfect. You know, for a lot of people, the gym is an intimidating environment. So really encouraging people in that space, getting people to be confident in themselves going in. Um, I think that's a big one for me. So you talked about well-being already. Um, do you include any more holistic approaches into your well-being routine, like meditation? I don't meditate really. I'm just terrible at it. Um, <laughs> but one thing that I do do is I see an amazing acupuncturist okay. who I think is like, the best thing since sliced bread like she is honestly amazing <laughs> since before sliced bread even. before sliced bread yeah <laughs> yeah she really really helped me and she focuses on what um, do you go what do you have acupuncture for if you all don't sorts things asking, like stress yeah. anxiety but right. also like fertility um not fertility but i had real big problems with my periods right and so she helped me a lot with that well i have polycystic ovary syndrome and uh, but I also have something called adenomyosis, which is like a thickening of the wound lining. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I means that I have like really painful period pains. Right. Um. And so she helped me a lot with that 
but she's yeah she was amazing and so that is like my my slight foray into the kind of alternative medicine world but you know she's like a white witch like she is honestly (laughs) I absolutely adore her and I had a session with her not that long ago she was like I'm just going full alternative medicine with you today she was like wafting this feather around me and like doing all sorts of stuff but like I just love it I'm really cynical like with most things okay you know I like science and I like hard evidence and I know that's difficult for some people because there's a lot that isn't very evidence-based and I think that preys on vulnerable people within the alternative medicine space. Yeah. That for me is a real issue. But I think sometimes, for whatever <laughs> reason, I truly have been made to believe. And like this is where I think sometimes you do need to let your guard down and try other things because particularly with acupuncture, I was cynical and then a total convert and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, so... And it seems to have opened the door for... For her to be able to do these other yeah, things you were saying the exactly. last session she was doing and like even when she was doing that like the placebo effect is one of the strongest drugs in the world <laughs> so at the end of the day if you leave feeling better <laughs> who am I to say that it didn't work you okay know? having said this what would you say is the hardest thing you've had to overcome I mean there have been many challenges I think one thing that I found really difficult was just navigating the world of social media mm. and like Back to social media, yeah. It's yeah. A big, it plays a huge role in Just, I feel like there was definitely a station. I think it's getting kinder now, slightly, mm. not massively. But there was a time when people would criticise you for anything. Mm. You know, I would get messages every single day criticising me for whatever. It's bizarre. I've always thought that's such yeah. bizarre behaviour from people. And, like, it could be as simple as I'd say something in a certain way or, like, I'd do a funny voice or something like that. And, and people would criticise you. And it's no like, way. I found that as someone who's like I'm quite self-critical already Mm. and self-conscious I found that really hard to deal with at first but I think I've learned to develop boundaries and to be better at dealing with trolls but I think that has been one of the hardest things that I've had to come and overcome and I think last year I really found it impacting me and it meant that like it completely stifles your creative flair because Mm. you just think well what's the point of me doing any of this because someone's just going to criticise me and I've yeah I found that really hard but uh, yeah I definitely feel like I've sort of had a bit of a breakthrough with that now yeah I think given recent events I think people have actually started to recognise that there's a person at the end of Mm. that social media platform that Twitter account, that it's not just like empty space that it's going into, that like people read that and it can have an impact. Yeah, of course. And also that you never really know what someone's going through. Mm. So yeah, I, I think it's getting a little bit better. And um, for every person that says something negative, there are huge numbers of people who, exactly. are, who are full of praise but for your work and I what know. you're doing, you impact very, very positively and meaningfully, yeah. Alice. But I think also in life, and we're probably all very like this, that you can get a hundred positive comments, but if you get one negative, you're focused yeah. on that. Mm. So it's one of it's the difficult. tendencies of the mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. So if you had to give our listeners your top bit of advice mm-hmm. on uh, healthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. healthy living, what would it be? Because we do ask all of our presenters to share, you know, a mantra or a meditation of some sort mm-hmm. or a tool mm-hmm. that they can use mm-hmm. and they can as a takeaway from mm-hmm. this podcast. I mean, you've shared so much with us already, Ooh. but if you had to say one thing uh, one that they could thing. practice, what would it be? I think gratitude is like a really big thing. I know for me, what really like instigated that thought path was interviewing Henry. Mm -hmm. And you start to realize that like, we're always, I think, in a world where we're always striving for more Mm. and wanting more and more is always better. 
you know, that comes down to exercise, that mm. comes down to healthy eating, more mm. is always better, I can always do more, or I can always do more of this, I can always do more of that. And actually, like, I think there's something in getting more and recognising that more wasn't actually what you wanted, and that actually, like, sometimes you can just sit down and look at what's around you, you know, your finances, your house, your family, your friends, and whatever, and be like, I'm actually pretty good, like, mm. I'm grateful for what I've got. And even if you do want more, it's still good to be grateful for where you are and to mm. recognise that. And I think I've started to really try and practice a sense of, and I might not do it daily, but I do try and do it as much as I can, where I'm like, I'm really grateful for what I've got right now. I'm really, and, and just trying to instill that mindset of no matter how stressed and how busy and how overwhelmed I can feel, mm. I'm also mm. really grateful for all of these things. And I think gratitude can be a really powerful mindset mm. and I think once you start to practice gratitude you feel less pressure to then be like chasing you know mm. the unknown and, and tr- always trying to be doing more mm. I love that amazing so if people wanted to to find your books and to get to know more of you mm-hmm. and and come across all the amazing things that you share across mm-hmm. all of your platforms what's the best place for people to find you so probably over on Instagram I am at Alice Living and yeah I think most stuff's on there my website link everything else so yeah, yeah head over there have a little look and um, yeah hopefully enjoy what you see so <laughs> thank you so much Alice for taking the time for being with us uh, for our podcast today it's been a huge broad range of subjects that we've mm. covered in this podcast um, so thank you it's thank my you pleasure. so much it's been great thank you for having me <laughs> for more information about the Wellbeing Festival visit mindbodyspirit.co.uk I've been your host, Parvini Vias, and this episode was produced by Josh Roberts and our sound engineer, Erin Milliken. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back very soon.